Open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. I hope that you will take time, maybe today, later this week, to look at Zechariah chapter 8 and to consider some of the things there and, and measure yourself. Do you have the enthusiasm and the desire for speed that they had in that passage to want to share it, the, the worldview, the gospel, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and the response, I will go with thee also. We, we want that. We want that. He deserves it, and the truth is worthy of it. We want it. Let me say something that I just want to always cause you to think in scriptural terms. We had an axiom in the first service that was nature can teach truth. Chris shared some information off a four-sided cemetery stone, and I wish we still had stones like that. Those little goofball plates that they put in the ground now so that the brush hog can go over them, and they allow you about five words, are ridiculous. There's a four-sided one in the Georgetown Cemetery of the Antipato Baptist Church of Christ that has a whole lot of material on it as well. But that isn't my point. Chris mentioned something about the age of a bride. You can look at it in terms of the world and that girls of that age all they know how to do is get on social media with their smartphones because they've never been trained. Right. But I ask you to think about it in the light of nature. And then in the light of Scripture, the wife of thy youth. That's all. I've had an opinion on that subject for 45 years. And it certainly isn't compatible or politically correct with this generation. But uh, God has already spoken by nature. And so don't, don't throw nature out. You can throw the world out. Uh, the reason that they've never met a mature or responsible girl of that age is because they don't know how to train them. God said that by nature, they're ready in certain respects. So, whatever. It's not a whatever to me because I believe the Bible, and I believe the Bible tells us that nature teaches us something, and nature teaches us something about age. Right. Well, they can be more emotionally mature at 30. Huh. Yeah. With 16 years of bad habits built in. 16 years of independence built in. Number 30. Number 30 is in Acts chapter 17. I'm going to tell you, I believe the Bible. The Bible says, look at nature. I look at nature. Nature tells me something. It agrees with what the Bible says. It agrees with the cemetery stone and a whole lot of others. And I just uh, trust it. I trust it. I, thank you, Lord. I, I, I hope you'll never meet anyone else that loves every word of God like I do. Now, I tried that on Sylvia at break time, and she said, I do. Oh, she sawed my legs off at the knees. 
uh, that she loves every word of God more than I do. That's the, and I love that spirit. Do you, th you think I'm offended by that spirit? No, I rejoiced. Um, we want to love the words of God. And so here we go with this one. Acts chapter 17, history is God's work, is number 30. History is God's work. Now, I referred to history earlier because I wanted to remind you of the three dispensations of men, 2,500 years of the patriarchs. Axiom number 30 is history is God's work. 2,500 years of the patriarchs, 1,500 years of Moses' law, and now we're 2,000 years into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Just, I just wanted, I want those in your head and how there's been progressive revelation through them, how in the first segment of 2,500 years, they hardly knew anything. They didn't know the punish, they didn't know capital punishment for murder. So 1,600 years into world history, God had to tell Noah, whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. They didn't know that. And it just kept progressing. Guess who gets the mother load? We do, Amen. and we don't deserve it, but we get the mother load, and thank you, Lord, for it. Amen. History is God's work. Acts chapter 17 and verse 26, to the philosophers on Mars Hill, Paul said, God hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. And earlier today, I showed you that the bounds of their habitation were determined by the nation of Israel. Right. But notice, he's determined the bounds of their habitation. Do you think that national boundaries are determined by men? God determines them. Amen. How about the times of events that happen in nations? They're appointed to nations. God's, history is his work. Yes. History is God's work. And hath determined, I love these kind of words, hath determined the times before appointed. The, thing, the events and circumstances that hit nations, wars, famines, he's determined those things before, and they were appointed by him. Amen. That's the God I worship. Amen. And so he, whatever's going on in the world, it doesn't move me, and it shouldn't move you. God's planned it, appointed it, and he's determined it. That's good enough for me. Lord, go for it. What are you going to do? Let's see it happen. You know when it's time to vote? We vote. Don't worry, that'll come up in an axiom. When it's time to vote, we vote. We do the part that our nation gives us, but we don't stress. We don't worry. It's in the Lord's hands. And they are mighty wonderful hands, and they're mighty powerful hands. History is God's work. Look at Daniel chapter 2. Now, I've only got a couple minutes here on each of these axioms, but uh, Daniel chapter 2 and verse 21, Daniel is before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has seen an image that shows him the history of the world that's coming. Not the history of the world past, but the history of the world future. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 21, Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar about the God he worships. I'll start in verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. That's the way to start off when you're going to give someone an answer. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. Amen. And He changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. 
He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might and has made known unto me now what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. What a speech by Daniel. But notice in verse 21, he changeth the times and the seasons. Kingdoms may think they're going to last forever. They're going to last for another 100 years. A man's going to reign for another 40 years until death. The Lord just takes them out of the scene because he removes kings. He sets up kings. History is God's work. Nations and leaders, whether good or bad, are by his choice. Nations and leaders, nations and leaders, whether good or bad, are by his choice. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 17 says, and this is uh, Nebuchadnezzar, that God is able to raise up the basest of men to rule. So that's bad. Lo, he's able, and he does, raise up the basest of men. I want you to look at Ezekiel chapter 29 so I can show you something about Egypt. I gave Egypt for thy ransom. Do you have any more in the Bible about Egypt? There's a whole lot in the Bible about Egypt. You read Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and you're going to get a load about Ezekiel, this, about Egypt. This is Ezekiel chapter 29. Ezekiel chapter 29. I just want to share this verse with you. Verse 13. Let me get a little context. Yet thus saith the Lord God, At the end of forty years will I gather the Egyptians from the people, whither they were scattered, and I will bring again into the captivity, the captivity of Egypt, and will cause them to return into the land of Pathros, into the land of their habitation, and they shall be there a base kingdom. Is he able to raise up the basest of men to be individual rulers? Yes. And does he? Yes. Is he able to take nations and push them down until they are base nations? Compared to what Egypt was, Egypt is a base nation. It is a laughingstock of what it used to be. It shall be the basest of the kingdoms. Neither shall it exalt itself any more above the nations, for I will diminish them that they shall no more rule over the nations. This is the Bible. I believe it. This is world history. History is God's work. He's crushed Egypt. They messed with his people too many times. I gave Egypt for thy ransom. I'm going to leave them a base kingdom. So when you look at world history, it's not Christopher Columbus. It's Almighty God that wants to give us the North American continent for the preaching of the gospel. It's because Paul still wanted to go west. Look for the Lord's hand in everything. The Lord's hand in every person, every leader, every nation, every event, every famine. When famines come, who sends them? The Lord does. The potato famine of China. Was it Mao Zedong or the God of heaven? Yes. It's yes. It's both. It's the Lord using men. Thank you, Lord, for showing us these wonderful things. Abilities that one nation has and other nations do not have are by his choice. Can't go there. You know Isaiah 28, where it gives us six verses at the end of Isaiah 28? that the ability to know how, how to handle each kind of grain for the benefits of agriculture right. rather than chasing rabbits with a boomerang, do you know where that comes from? It's the Lord of hosts 
who works these wonders in certain nations and not in others. It's by God. God. History is God's work. Promotion doesn't come from the north, south, east, or west. It comes from the Lord. And He makes those changes. The greatest event of history, recognized by the whole world, occurred at the B.C.A.D. turnover. Jesus. Amen. They, they still recognize it everywhere. They can, they can call They can use C.E. if they want to. That's Christ eternal. Ridiculous idiot. God substitutes and sacrifices nations and men for His nation which I've taught you recently. Think about this. If America's war against England, the American Revolution, was wrong, probably was, just remember, American time of the Revolution, one-third of the nation were Tories, loyal to England. One-third of the nation did not care. One-third of the nation were revolutionary and that wanted to establish a new nation. I don't want to get in, I'm not debating it with you and I'm not discussing it right now. I just want you to know that there were those three parts and they were all equal parts in America. See, if you read a certain kind of history book, it sounds like all of America was in a revolution against England. That's not true. They were three equal parts. That is all irrelevant. Let's just assume for the sake of the argument that they were wrong. So it was wrong to throw off the yoke of the King of England and to rebel in the way that we did against a God-established authority. Let's just assume that for the sake of this particular argument. Is God able to use error? Is God able to use error on our part to accomplish good? Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. Let me read it to you what Joseph had to say about his brothers. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. See, it doesn't matter to me one bit about the integrity of the American Revolution. What matters to me is that God gave us America. And in America, we had by various means the freedom of religion and a Bill of Rights that says they cannot stop us from meeting like this and having a meeting and preaching the gospel. And I don't care how we got it, we got it, so I thank the Lord for it. Even if it was accomplished by error on the part of some. It's just a beautiful way to look at history. We've got to keep going. Number 31, economics by Bible only. Or only Bible economics. Economics by Bible only. Or only Bible economics. The Bible, our manual for life, has excellent wisdom for micro and macro economics. It's an incredible book that we have. Our Bible, our scriptures, 66 books. Instead of just five, we have the whole canon. Only Bible economics. We do not trust the world's economic ideas. We trust the Bible's economic ideas. Capitalism or free market system rewarding the individual is scriptural. The diligent shall be made fat. The slothful shall be under tribute. The the diligent hand shall bear rule. The the diligent shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. If he he does not plant in planting time, he begs in harvest and gets nothing. Bible economics. What the Bible says about economics is true over any other system of economics, and it's part of our worldview. Look at Proverbs 
chapter 12. I, I just quoted one of those verses, but let me show you a couple of verses. You know, we have a whole, a whole series called Bible Economics, and I'm not going to touch on that right now. It's just to help fill out your little framework. When you're looking at things about money, supply and demand, diligence, cornering the market, hoarding, all those kind of subjects are dealt with in the Bible. And we go with the Bible's answer for all those things. Who do you think invented money? Do you know that all the money in the Bible was weighed? When was the last time you weighed Federal Reserve notes? All the money in the Bible was weighed. It tells us that so specifically in so many places, all the way back to Abraham who waited out for a burial plot for Sarah. You know we can't get off on this subject. I love this subject. Proverbs 12, 24, The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. Does that mean that all citizens are treated alike by their amount of effort? No way, no way, no way. The diligent, those who work hard are promoted, and those that don't shall be put under tribute. Charge them instead of paying them. There's punishment for not doing it with zeal, like the Lord teaches. Look at 14.4. 14.4. Where no oxen are, the crib is clean, but much increase is by the strength of the ox. Where no material handler is, the crib is clean. Where no laser-guided blade is, the crib is clean, but much increase is by the strength of the ox. There's some new toys that were unleashed yesterday to a few of us that are special. New toys. And you know, you know who the toy man is in the church. And so you can go to Toys R Us on Pennington Road. Proverbs 14.4 is where no oxen are, the crib is clean. That is a capital investment. You know, there's a whole sermon that could be taught about the, the difficulty of buying an ox. How you have to deprive yourself and deny yourself to save up capital for a long time. And it's scary to buy that thing. Do you know what that 1,800-pound creature eats a day? you got to keep feeding that boy after he's plowed your field and planted your seed. you got to keep feeding him every day. And you don't have anything to feed him except your savings. He is eating your savings. But boy, when it comes to harvest time, mm -hmm. that boy is a friend to have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean that respectfully about the ox. Yep. It's just a, you know, the, the Bible is full of information like this. Capitalism or the free market system that rewards the individual is a scriptural concept and it's taught throughout primarily in the Old Testament where we get the kind of details like that that the New Testament just assumes. Charity has wise and severe limits that are delineated in, delineated in the Bible. Right. You know, they took up collections north of the Mediterranean Sea in Greece for the poor brethren that were in Judea. And they bypassed millions of poor all around them right. because charity is defined by the Bible. These are things the Lord's taught us. Do, are you able to stop at almost every one of these points and know that God has shown us precious wisdom? Right. Do you remember when we, many years ago when we were troubled by pictures that social do-gooders wanted to throw in our face and we didn't know how to respond? The Bible tells us how to respond. Right. Mm -hmm. Jesus, nor John, nor an apostle ever cared one bit for them. You say, that's hard and cruel. Why? 
They don't want to fear God and love God. They don't want to be part of the brethren. You ignore them. Jesus did. You never see Jesus visiting Egypt to pass out, to pass out candy at the orphanages. You say, you sound so hard. I know I sound hard because you're listening too much to the world. But if you read the Bible, you'll find that it's there. And it's our document entitled, Haiti. Haiti. That's where, we, that's where we put the most work together on that subject, Bible economics. Welfare and entitlement, like our nation practices and most nations practice today, is wrong. Gleaning and starvation are good. Starvation is good. The closer your belly button gets to your spinal column, the harder you'll work. How do you get this belly button closer to the spinal column? You take food away from a person and say, if you'll work for it, we'll feed you. So you work. That's the Bible. Gleaning. You shall not use GPS on your tractor to cut and, and harvest every bit of the corners of your field. But if your field's a square... We expect you to harvest it in a circle. This is the Lord. Yep. Harvest it in a circle, leaving the corners so that the poor can come out and eat. The poor do not eat by handouts. The poor eat by gleaning. And on and on it goes. Bible economics. Thank you, Lord. Labor unions are no more than extortion, sedition, and theft. Your basic right as an employee is to quit. Money was weighed. Debtor nations are called Tales. Debtor nations are tales. Lotteries are folly. Lotteries are called in, in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 32. Prosperity of fools. Ponzi's only get fools because strong men retain riches. Even buying has its rules. We had this proverb recently. It is not, it is not, saith the buyer, then he goes his way and boasts. What does God think of that? Stealing. Lying. Because he goes his way and boasts, but when he was talking to the seller, he was pointing out all the negative things about that particular item. Pay market price. You want to get ahead? Pay market price. Pay market price. Don't ever try to juice someone down. You're going to end up being crushed by God. That is not how anybody has ever got ahead by jewing someone down, by pointing, them out, pointing out the faults in the thing they're selling. This is all in the Bible. It's part of our worldview. We buy, we sell, we trade, we, we save, we give, we show charity under certain rules because it's part of our worldview, and it's number 31, Bible economics. Number 32, society by Bible only. Number 32, society by Bible only. The Bible, our manual for life, includes how we should look at various social issues. Society by Bible only. How does society function? How does it get along? What does the Bible say about it? How should we view it? What's going on in the news? What should we think of Mother Teresa or Pope Frank trying to stop a capital punishment case? Where should we stand on that subject? Capital punishment is good. Bible teaches it. Corporal punishment is good, regardless of silly PTA mommies. Casual sex is a serious capital offense. Virginity is incredibly important in the Bible. If you weren't a virgin when you got married, and 20 years down the road, your husband is angry at you because you've done something wrong or you haven't done something wrong, and he's angry at you and he calls you a whore, 
in Israel, that little girl would be taken before the magistrates, and if her parents could not produce the proof of her virginity, she was stoned 20 years later for not being a virgin when she got married. That's the Word of God. That's how society should function, and that's what God thinks of casual sex. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Public education is national moral suicide when religions are taught like evolution and humanism. Evolution's a religion, humanism is a religion, and they are the two, religion, two of the religions taught in our public school system, which is destroying our nation. Right. We have an opinion on society. We don't necessarily go out and stand in the middle of the street and broadcast it, and we don't necessarily write letters to the editor all the time. We don't do that because we hide. And that is part of what the Bible teaches us to do. Right. Libertarians sound good, but they miss the greatest victim. They love to talk about victimless crimes, but the greatest victim is Almighty God and other indirect victims that they don't want to try to find because they're only looking for the obvious direct victims. Moral decay is going to bring hate crimes while they hate us, but we're going to hide. This is Bible social studies. Look at Proverbs chapter 28. We're going to hide. You say the way that you're preaching right now, you're not hiding very well. Well, they're going to have to go to letgodbetrue.com to even find me. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 12. When righteous men do rejoice, there is great glory. But when the wicked rise, a man is hidden. Then look at verse 28 in the same chapter. When the wicked rise, men hide themselves. But when they perish, the righteous increase. The righteous come out of hiding. When, when the wicked cease, the righteous come out of hiding. When the wicked rise in authority and the government's against us, we're, the, we're what used to be called the silent majority. The majority of Americans stood against many policies of government, but they didn't say anything. And there's, there's some wisdom to that. And so we just withdraw to protect ourselves while the world rushes on down its primrose path to hell. Bible social studies. Oh, okay. Forget rights. Accept responsibilities. Amen. Employment or renting is a privilege. It's not a right. We avoid any offense as much as possible with all categories of men, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We avoid offense to the Jews, to the Gentiles, and to the church of God. Very clearly stated. Number 33. Oh, this is so huge. Wait till you hear this. And I'm going to give it two minutes. Number 33. Angels are very active. Are you two minutes, Pastor? All we need is to remember, our worldview includes unseen spirits that are all around us and that are involved in every level of human society and activity. Right. Are we trusting for an angel, for a brother in Durham, North Carolina? Amen. At least one? Angels are very active. Jehovah of the Bible is Lord of hosts. What are the hosts? The armies of heaven. The angelic armies, hosts, plural, host. A host is a large number. Hosts are large divisions of the heavenly armies under the th control of the Lord God Jehovah. Jesus now has the authority because 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 22 tells us that after he rose from the dead, angels and principalities and powers were made subject to him. He directs them. 
He's our savior. He's our brother. He's our friend. They are our servants, and he directs them to help us. Angels are very active. Daniel told us in Daniel chapter 10 that they were involved in the political governments of Greece and Persia and Israel. Who was the prince of Israel? Michael. Daniel chapter 12, the first verse. Michael will stand up. The prince of thy people. Isn't that comforting to know? Michael's on our side. Because I read about a war in Revelation chapter 12, and Michael and his angels fought, and the devil and his angels fought, and who won? Michael and his angels, because they threw the devil and his angels out of heaven. Angels are very active. They're involved in politics. They're involved in us per, with us personally. They are servants for the children of God. Who, we are sons of God above them. They are our servants. Children have angels with direct access to God. Look at Matthew chapter 18. I know my time, so you, we need to get there in a hurry. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 10 says, Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. And if you read the comparing, pas comparing passages, these are little ones that believe in me. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you, Jesus warns anyone that mistreats, denigrates little ones that believe in him, that in heaven... Their angels, they have angels assigned to them, do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. We do not want to offend a little child that believes on Jesus Christ when their angels are in heaven with the face of God looking at them. Your children should be taught about angels. I'm not going to tell you the story again of how my mother helped me. Your children should be taught about this so that they recognize that there are meeting, angelic meetings that take place in heaven and God assigns angels. It's part of our worldview. What, can you imagine a worldview without mentioning the angels? They should be offended because they're, they're an important part. Number 34. Number 34. How do we look at nature? Nature by Bible only. Nature by Bible only. Now earlier it was nature can teach truth. This is number 34. Nature by Bible only, we look at nature the way the Bible tells us to look at nature. And how does it start off in Genesis chapter 1? God gave us dominion over all of it. We can use it. We can turn a tree into toilet paper because God gave us the creation and to dominate it and to use it. We can take eggs and eat them. We can take birds and eat them. Vegetarianism is paganism. That doesn't mean that everyone that is a vegetarian is a pagan, but that ism that they're practicing is pagan. It's paganism. So we look at nature the Bible's way. We deny PETA's excess. People for the ethical treatment of animals, we believe in the ethical treatment of animals, but not their ethics about animals. We believe in the Bible's ethics for treating animals. Can you take a female bird with its young at the same time? No. Can you see the kid in its mother's milk? No. If you have work beasts, do, do you need to treat them carefully and mercifully? According to the book of Proverbs, yes, you do. The Bible teaches us all that. Animals are to be used. Moses butchered them every day. Vegetarianism is paganism. Their spirits are base, irrational dirt. They go straight down when they die. Their spirits. None go to heaven. Extinction of species is a part of the history of this world. 
God will take care of this world. If he doesn't want a species to go, he'll keep it. We don't need to fret ourselves about that. Do you know how many species have already disappeared from the world? Well, they, they keep finding them every day. God condemned cruelty and expected kind treatment. Global warming is heresy and fake news until God's glorious end of fervent heat will melt this place. Fake news sensationalizes weather. That little tiny windstorm they had in Missouri, unbelievable. That headline came out and used these words, mass mortality and catastrophic damage. And if you watch the video, they had about three houses to show you. How many people died from that storm? Three. How many people die every day from accidental deaths? 400. Just, just blow everything out of proportion to get you distracted with weather right. and other things instead of, there's a God coming. And do you know what? The, the, uh, the casualties are going to be more than three. Yes. Just, just a little bit more than three. Fake news sensationalizes stuff, sends it to the world to distract and trouble us. God rules all weather events in each day, detail and every person that is touched by it. And you know I have verses for every one of these statements, but no time for these verses for every one of these statements. Psychosomatic illnesses were in the Bible 3,000 years ago. Hurry. I'm going to go by your watch. Proverbs 12 and verse 25. Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. 1722. Psychosomatic illnesses and psychosomatic health. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Solomon wrote this stuff 1000 B.C. We already understood that. We trust the Bible. The Bible tells us how to look at nature. The Bible tells us how to look at health. The Bible tells us how to look at psychosomatic health. Everything causes death, they want to tell us. Salt, red meat, air. I love salt. I love salt. I'll salt salt. I'll salt bacon. Listen, if you're eating right and exercising, you can eat salt. Salt is good. Jesus said salt is good. God never accepted an animal sacrifice that wasn't salted. Do you know that? There's only one verse in the Bible. It's called the covenant of salt. God's not going to eat meat without salt on it. Either will I. Listen, I'll salt country ham. That's, that's the riskiest thing, salting country ham. But God made salt is good. God had a covenant of salt for every animal sacrifice. And what did Job say? The white of an egg doesn't have any taste without salt. Amen, Job. Give me some salt. But you know, that, you know what they want to tell you? Salt's killing you. Well, they found out now that it doesn't. But you've got so many conflicting opinions out there, so why not just go with the Bible? God, God's not going to eat meat without salt on it. That doesn't mean he ate bags of potato chips all day. Everything causes death. Red meat. Oh, yeah, red meat. The Lord loved red meat. Yeah, the air is going to kill you. It's got so many pollutants in it. Be careful about picking a favorite, a favorite of what's going to kill you because the world's got this big, long list that's all going to kill you. The Bible has excellent advice for alcohol, animal care, animal control, hygiene, sex, all in the Word of God. It's uh, nature by the Bible only. How do we look at the physical world? How do we look at our body's constitution? How do we look at diet? Things like that of nature through the spectacles of the Word of God. Moderation in all things. Thank you, Lord, for what a worldview you've given us. Amen. May the Lord bless you to understand that I'm not trying to cheat because I, ha I, could, 
I could take a lot of time right now with what's in front of me, but I want the framework in front of your eyes so that you'll be thinking, I want, I want to incorporate all these somehow, and it's by reason of use. Jonathan prayed for it this morning, by reason of use, as Hebrews chapter 5 teaches.